From the Edwin Cardinal O'Brien Pastoral Center in Washington, D.C., home base for the Archdiocese for the Military Services USA. This is Catholic Military Life, the only official podcast of the Archdiocese. I'm your moderator, Taylor Henry. And for this edition, it's my high honor and privilege to have as my guest, Bishop William Bill Mum, Auxiliary Bishop for Europe and Asia. Bishop Mum, welcome. Thank you, Taylor. And thank you so much for uh, joining me today. And we're recording this podcast on Friday, February 11th. And as we speak, uh, there's tension um, in Europe over uh, the buildup of Russian forces around Ukraine. Uh, you're uh, back in the States for a few days. Uh, uh, what's, uh, what's, what's the mood over there in Europe right now with all this uh, concern about a possible Russian invasion of, of Ukraine? Yes, I think, Taylor, it's safe to say that everyone is fearing the worst, but of course no one knows what might happen. And there is a, there's a general feel of uncertainty and, and fear and, uh, in some ways, um, anxiety, I would say, over, and, and a lot of it is the uncertainty, right? Because it could be that nothing will happen, or it could be that it could be the worst-case scenario. So we don't know what to expect, and, and that does take its toll, especially on senior people who are involved in operations planning. Uh, sounds like pretty much the same as here in the United States hmm. in terms of what people are concerned about. Uh, from your uh, interaction with the forces over there, uh, enlisted and officers, uh, how are each of those groups of folks handling the uncertainty, the tension, the anxiety? From what I've seen, Taylor, that the, the junior enlisted are not even thinking about Ukraine. They're thinking about their personal life, their, their spouse, their children, their job, their car, what have you. But the senior people, especially people who are involved in planning, that that's the one that it's that it's really affecting those people more of all more than anyone else because their whole job is to plan for contingencies and a lot of our senior people who have been involved in crisis planning meetings for weeks now and and that's i'm sure that takes its toll on people now you've been on our podcast before bishop mom when was the last time we talked on this podcast. It was three years ago today. Taylor. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> February 11th, 2019. And that was not too long after your Episcopal ordination, right? It was It was about a month before the ordination. So the announcement came out in January, and then the ordination was in March. So I, w- I happened to be in the office, just like I am today. So we did a podcast three years ago today. And I snagged you for an interview. That's right. <laughs> right. So, well, so every three years on, on Our Lady of Lourdes Day, I'll come in and talk to you, Taylor. I appreciate that, Bishop Mom. Thank you so much. Uh, so by now you've had a chance to get immersed in your new ministry uh, as Auxiliary Bishop Episcopal Vicar for Europe and Asia. That's a huge uh, territory. Uh, t- tell me uh, about, uh, well, first of all, let's start. Where do you live? I live off post or off base in a civilian apartment in Mainz, Germany. And the reason for the civilian apartment is that I'm not in the military anymore. I retired from the Navy four years ago. And at that point, I was officially out of the military. And when I got the call to be an auxiliary bishop for AMS, then uh, then I, I'm working, I came back to the, to AMS, I came back to the military community, but as a shepherd now, not as someone in uniform. So I do live in Mainz, Germany in a non-government, non-military status, and I live in a civilian apartment off base or off post. Uh, 
And, and which, which post is that that you're closest to? I'm closest to Wiesbaden. And uh, is that's Army, Air Force, Navy, all yeah. of the above? Army. I see. Okay, but you're a Navy chaplain. I was a Navy chaplain. Right. You spent 20 years as a Navy chaplain. 20 years active duty as a chaplain, yes. And you uh, retired at the rank of captain. Yes. Uh, so is that an adjustment, uh, being near an Army base after your time in the Navy? Uh, well, I, I had never been to Germany before, so that that took some learning. There's a learning curve there, but I feel like I I know I'm familiar enough with Germany now that I can I can get around and I know how to do things. I I don't speak German, unfortunately. I wish I did, but most Germans speak English, and I have my phone with with translate apps. And between those two things and charades. I can usually get by. <laughs> well, now you spent time in Japan too, and I was—I lived in Japan for several years, and I know from my own experience that a lot of English is spoken in Japan as yes, well. Yes, yes. So I suppose uh, Germany is the same. Yes, most Germans studied English in school, and most of them speak a little English, and I, usually enough for me to be able to get by. I see, and now. Your role as Auxiliary Bishop of Europe and Asia requires you to travel quite a bit. Yes, so that's that's why it makes sense where I live, where I live. So I live in Mainz, Germany, which is kind of near Frankfurt. And so Mainz is good for me as a home base because I can, I can drive three hours in any direction and get to maybe 15 Army or Air Force installations within Germany. And I can take a 30-minute train ride from where I live to the Frankfurt Airport, which is a major international hub for flying anywhere else in Europe or Asia or the States. I see. And so how much time do you spend on the road? I haven't really totaled it up, Taylor, but I would say this year, this pastoral year since July, I've probably been on the road at least 75% of the time. And going where? Well, I, I, there, I believe I have 41 military installations in Europe and Asia that I'm responsible for, and there have been meetings in the States. I was back here in the States in November for the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Fall Assembly and then the AMS benefit. And then the morning after that benefit, then I got on a plane and, and flew to Korea. Okay. Uh, jet-setting bishop here. Yeah, jet-setting, that's right. So our Holy Father talked about, he said to the bishops, don't be an airport bishop. But he wasn't talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, uh, well, what's it been like traveling with COVID? Yes, well, thanks be to God, I have been able to travel everywhere I wanted to go since last summer. And isn't that amazing? That is amazing. It's quite amazing. And so my schedule is online. But uh, at any rate, I've visited Army and Air Force installations throughout Germany. And I've, I went to Budapest, Hungary for the International Eucharistic Congress in September. And I visited all the, or the major military installations in Italy wh where we have U.S. service members and families. I've been to each of those installations twice now since last summer. And I made it to Turkey. We have basically three areas in Turkey where we have airmen and families. And I made it to Spain. And also, as I say, back to the U.S. for, for two things in November. And as I say, the morning after the AMS benefit, I was on a plane to Seoul, South Korea. So I, I was able to travel all over Korea and visit all the major in military installations. Then successfully made it to Guam and spent a week in Guam 
visiting the Army and Air Force communities there. Then made it from Guam to Japan, including Christmas in Yokosuka Naval Base. Then I made it back to the United States in January for the Regional Bishops Retreat. And Archbishop Brolio was there as well as uh, the other bishops with AMS, Bishop Higgins, Bishop Spencer, Bishop Bunkin, and Bishop Coffey were all there. That was a great experience. And then I uh, made it back to Europe uh, in early January, and I was able to visit service members in Poland, and then I spent a week in Italy confirming. And just last, a week ago, a uh, week ago on Thursday, I, I was the guest speaker at the prayer breakfast in Stuttgart. And then I, I preached the opening mass at the Europe Men's Retreat in Schoenstatt last Friday evening, and then got on a plane to come here to the States Saturday morning. So all, those, all that travel, and it's amazing. Well, uh, so the, the very interesting. So what is the, the international uh, travel on airplanes uh, uh, like in the time of COVID? Do you have to wear a face mask the yes. entire time? Yes, so every flight, I believe every flight in the world requires a face mask for the duration of the flight as well as in the airport before and after. So sometimes I'll spend 12, 18 hours wearing a mask. So wearing a mask the whole time you're traveling, what is that like? It's, if you have a comfortable mask, it's okay. <laughs> but there have been times when I boarded a flight with my comfortable mask, and, and the flight attendant said, no, you can't wear that one because it doesn't meet the medical requirements. So they gave me one of theirs, which was too tight. So that hurt. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, and they're not adjustable either. They're, so the, the, the ones they give you are not adjustable. That's are right. these N95 masks? I or? think so. I I'm see. not sure of, of all the technical specs. I see. Uh, are the flights crowded? Some are. Some aren't. It's, it's funny. Uh, I've, I was in Dallas just a few days ago. The Archbishop and I were in Dallas for the National Catholic Bioethics Center Bishops Workshop, which happens every two years. The flight from D.C. to Dallas, was every seat was full. But coming back the other night, about only about a third of the flight was full. You just never know. Interesting. So uh, when you fly to all these installations in Europe and Asia, uh, I know you confirm. That's you you'll confirm some of the youngsters yes. of the families who are based there. Uh, what else do you do? So when I when I visit the military installations, I'm there to visit the Catholic communities and to celebrate Mass. Hopefully on a Sunday. Because Sunday Mass is when the people are there. So ideally on a Sunday, and to confirm and to shepherd the priests. I see. And so you meet with the chaplains at each location. Yes, I, I always want to meet with the priest and, and spend some time with the priest, hopefully sharing a meal together and just finding out how the priest is doing and um, what are the challenges, what are the joys, what's happening in your life, is there anything I can do to help? and then give them a blessing. And it's not always an active duty chaplain. Sometimes it's a contract priest. So That's right. Some installations have contract priests. That's right. And for the benefit of our listener, um, a contract priest uh, is, uh, well, due to the shortage, we have a, a tremendous shortage of Catholic chaplains in the military. Uh, so um, the Defense Department has uh, contracts with uh, civilian priests to uh, to serve uh, on some installations. I know that's the case in, in stateside. Uh, the priests who serve as contract priests overseas, do they work under contracts with the DOD? 
We have some installations overseas who have contract priests and no uniform priest, but it's just a few. I see. And what is the situation? Now, we've heard so much about our uh, uh, shortage of uh, active duty chaplains. We're down to under 200 now for the entire uh, uh, U.S. military, including the Coast Guard. Right. So uh, are active duty Catholic chaplains uh, in short supply in Europe and Asia uh, as well? Or uh, how does it compare to the overall picture? It's safe to say that the different services try to take care of the overseas communities first because depending on the country, there's no option to go off base or off post for mass, especially if you're in a non-Christian country like Japan or Korea. So it's safe to say that they try to fill the overseas jobs first, because in the States, as a rule, it's possible to worship somewhere else. Right. And in Japan, if you do find a, a local Catholic mass, it's going to be in Japanese. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> or in Germany. And That's Germany. the problem. That's the problem. Um, I see. Uh, okay, so um, uh, tell me what you've tell me about your experiences visiting all these different installations. What are you seeing when you go to visit there? On the installation, I've been I've been met with a general outpouring of gratitude that I came because the COVID times put a lot of stress on people, and that's true in the states. It's true overseas. It's true all over the world, and it puts stress on families because it's harder for kids to go to school during COVID times, it's harder for them to learn, and it's harder for everyone to work during COVID times because of the restrictions, the travel restrictions, the masks, and especially overseas, a number of our families accepted overseas assignments with the expectation that they would be able to travel during vacation breaks from school or they could take leave and go sightseeing. But no matter where you go now, it's very difficult for people to travel. So. People are disappointed, I think, that they didn't have the opportunity to travel as much as they had hoped when they went into that assignment. So you add it all up, and, and it is difficult for people. So when the bishop shows up, or the bishop arrives, and, and, they see, and the people are able to attend the Mass with me and then talk to me afterwards or share a meal, it means a lot to the people, and they've all been thanking me for very much for, for coming. Are the restrictions as strict in Europe and Asia as they are in the United States? Well, that's the tricky part because every country has different rules for testing before you go into a country and for quarantine. Do you have to quarantine? Do you not have to quarantine when you're entering this country, depending on where you're coming from? And every country has different rules for what level of vaccination you have to have. Do you have to have your booster to enter this country? without a quarantine or not. Every country is different. Some countries require online pre-registration. You have to register online before you enter a country. Some countries don't. And, and so every country has different rules, and I, I travel to 11 different countries, and the rules in every country are constantly changing, including the United States. That sounds like a lot of preparation and paperwork. It takes a lot of research. It's not necessarily paperwork, but it's a lot of thought that has to go into preparing to, to enter a given country. Well, so you've got your work cut out for you going to these 11 countries on a yes. constant basis. Yes, but by, by, by God's grace, I have been able to pull it off. I have been able to travel. And I mean that sincerely, by God's grace, because I would not have been able to do this on my own power alone. And I can give you a couple of great examples. that A year ago, 
I knew that it was I needed to visit Japan for confirmations. It was exactly a year ago. But I didn't know who to contact to try to get permission for me to enter Japan because at that time, U.S. citizens were not allowed to enter Japan without a visa. And so I went to the Japanese consulate in Frankfurt, and I requested a visa to enter Japan. And they said, no, you have to be sponsored by someone who lives in Japan or some company in Japan who will take responsibility for you. So I was scratching my head saying, who do I know in Japan? Sony? Well, <laughs> Mitsubishi? <laughs> yeah. So, so the Lord provided the answer. So uh, I, I, I spoke to someone who reminded me that someone that I had served with at Camp Lejeune had left Camp Lejeune and then had gone over to U.S. Forces Japan as a deputy commander. So um, that was a Marine that, who had been my commanding officer in Camp Lejeune. He had moved on, but I contacted him, and he got me connected with the right people in Japan who got me all the right permissions. So that's an example of how the Lord was taking care of me. You said have, you have another example? Yes. I, I was able to visit Korea just this fall. I left D.C. the morning after the AMS benefit. And as I say, I, I arrived in Seoul, and I, I had, it was a great visit for 10 days. The day I left... Korea reimposed a 10-day quarantine on everyone entering the country because the Omicron had just started at that point. So the timing worked out. Your timing was just right. What was the Lord's timing? <laughs> now, what is the situation like uh, in Korea with the uh, a dictator in, in the north? Uh, are tensions running high in South Korea? or I would say, again, it kind of depends on who you're talking to. The junior enlisted are not thinking about that. They're thinking about their own lives, but... But the senior, especially the, the operations and planning people, are constantly aware of that. Well, Bishop Mom, I've looked at your uh, bio, and I find it very interesting. I'd like to talk to you a little bit now, if you will, about your vocation and how you came to discern it. You started out in business. You were a business major at the Colorado State University back in the 80s. How did you discover your vocation with that kind of background? Taylor, I, th I think I knew since I was in fourth grade that I was meant to be a priest. And I can't tell you how I knew that, or I can't tell you why I should have known that, but yet I knew that, I, I knew that that's what I was supposed to be. But yet no one asked me when I was growing up. I, we, my family and I did attend Mass regularly on Sundays, thanks be to God. But at no point did any priest or anyone else ask me about the possibility of being a, a priest, although I knew inside my heart that's what I was meant to be. So eventually, after I had joined the Navy, I did five years in the Navy as a supply corps officer, uh, left after my five years, completed my obligation, came back to my hometown of Denver, Colorado, and worked for a few years as an accountant. And at that point, I was still taking my faith seriously, still worshiping, practicing my faith, Then I knew that it was time to apply for the seminary. And a priest that I was talking to in Denver told me about the Military Archdiocese Co-Sponsorship Program. So and he explained to me. I didn't had never heard of it. So he told me about that. So I asked some questions and discovered that the Archdiocese of Denver did not had not signed on to that program at that point. So I knew that the Archdiocese of New York had. The vocation director told me this. So I applied to the Archdiocese of New York 
for the co-sponsorship program, and they accepted me. And for the benefit of our listener who does not know what the uh, co-sponsored seminary program is, it's simply a vocations partnership between the Archdiocese for the Military Services and other dioceses uh, around the country and religious communities participating. Uh, And uh, it's an agreement where they split the cost of the seminarian's five-year education and then both reap the benefits of having a a new priest. Um, So did you, uh, I believe you did, uh, uh, were in active ministry in New York before you went back into the Navy, is that right? Yes, I was ordained to the priesthood and spent three years in parish ministry in the Archdiocese of New York. I see. And then they released me according to plan for 20 years as a chaplain. I see. Uh, and uh, so, well, you n- knew since you were in fourth grade you wanted to be a priest. Has it been everything you expected? Not that I wanted to be, but that I knew I was supposed to be. I see. There's a subtle difference. Yes, you were yes. Called. You were called. Yes. I you, wanted to get married and have kids like a regular person. But yet I, I knew that, that, that's what I was, that I was meant to be a priest. Wow. How do you know that? In a, when you're, I don't know. <laughs> you just you just have an intu- intuitive sense that you're being called to the priesthood. I just knew that's who I was, and I knew that from a young age. I see. Has it been everything you expected? It's been everything I expected and more, Taylor. So really, for me, the priesthood is life lived to its fullest. And I feel like all of my humanity is engaged in this ministry. And I couldn't imagine uh, a happier life or a more fulfilling life than what I've enjoyed as a priest. And you were not only a priest, but a priest in the service, in the, yes. in the Navy. Uh, and you'd already had three years' experience in civilian pastoral ministry. So tell me, what's the difference when you got into the Navy? Uh, right. Well, I had I'd served in the Navy for five years before the seminary. Right. I knew that. Right. But as a priest, when you go back into the Navy, what, oh. what are the differences between a civilian priest and a military chaplain on active duty? Yes. So the differences are that, that we we live and we work with our people 24-7, especially when we're deployed at sea or in a field environment or in a combat environment. That, that, that we, We're so closely involved in our people's lives, whether they're Catholic or not, whether they come to church or not, we're involved in their lives. And we really get to know them. And and the Lord can work great things through that. And we hear a lot about post-traumatic stress and other conditions that afflict veterans, uh, those who serve. It, uh, moral injury is another um, condition that uh, affects, appears to affect a lot of them who have been in combat in Afghanistan and, and Iraq. Um, what is your perception of the needs, uh, the most crucial needs facing veterans, active duty personnel right now? I think everyone, everyone is suffering from some kind of stress. Some of them, like you say, are suffering from combat stress or post-traumatic stress disorder. But even the ones who have never served in combat have grown up in a very stressful culture. The American culture and American society is very stressful for everyone right now. I think everyone is affected just from serving, uh, just from coming from the, the American culture. And do you think that's different now than it was, say, 20 years ago? Uh, I would say it's more pronounced now, yes, because we can, we can look at our culture and see that the fault lines and the stress level have, have, have gone up. 
there's a lot of heated heated rhetoric right now yes, in the yes. media, and uh, you've got the opposite ends of the political spectrum, uh, people from each of those sides, you know, talking bad stuff. You know, they're they're right. insulting each other, and and the uh, the you know the uh, discourse has become more coarse in yes. in our society and i suppose that affects the military just like it does anyone else sure because our service members and families come from the american culture and uh you know right now it seems like it's liberal versus conservative we see that in american politics we see it in the church uh do you see it in the military is it's a one might think that the the military would be a, a more conservative group of folks. You find that to be true, politically I, and religiously, and or? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think so. No, I, I think that whatever the people we have in the military, I believe, represent a very good cross section of the wider society. I see. That would be my perception. I got you. Well, looking ahead, uh, uh, any. Uh, Anything on the agenda for the next few months? Are you going to continue to travel at this pace? Do you expect to travel more now that the COVID, we hope, is receding? Well, I'm going to continue to travel as long as the Lord keeps opening doors of opportunity. So it's it's really a miracle that I have not caught COVID, and because it's been we're two years into the pandemic, and a lot of as we know, a lot of people are catching it. I have not with all this traveling I do. So the the Lord wants me doing this ministry. The Lord has sustained me. So I've been tested for COVID maybe, I don't know, 50 times maybe. And that's amazing that I haven't caught it yet. But I'm going to keep going, and I feel strong in this ministry. And I'm sure that if I just stayed home in Germany and played it safe, that I would not feel strong. I'm sure of that. But, but I know the Lord wants me doing this ministry. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to travel and visit our installations in our communities and our priests as long as the Lord keeps permitting it. And it sounds like it's a ministry loaded with challenges. What can folks do to help? Well, so that's a good question, Taylor, and thank you. What I would ask is that that uh, if the folks could, for, for me specifically, if you could follow my travels on the AMS website, which is millarch.org. Millarch.org, M-I-L-A-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Millarch is short for Military Archdiocese. And then if you go to Who We Are, and then Auxiliary Bishops, and then click on Pastoral Visits, and if, if, if people could follow my travels and pray for me along the way, pray for my smooth travels, that, that I stay healthy, that I'm allowed to leave and enter the different countries as scheduled, that prayer would, and, and also pray that the Holy Spirit will inspire me in my ministry and that I'll be a good shepherd to my flocks in Europe and Asia. So those prayers would be uh, really worth more than anyone could ever imagine. Well, you can be reassured and assured of my prayers. Uh, any parting thoughts, Bishop Mom? Yes. So I work with great Americans, the service members, the families, and the, the uh, U.S. government civilians who, uh, who are Catholics and their family members who are overseas. They're all my flocks, and it's a privilege for me to work with them and they're so generous to me too. They're 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 very happy to see me show up, and they're very welcoming. They're so grateful that I came, and very generous. And some of them buy my meals or pay for my hotel room or things like that, which saves money for AMS. So it's 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 really a privilege to work with them. Auxiliary Bishop William Bill Mum, 
Episcopal Victor for Europe and Asia. Thank you so much for stopping in to talk to me. You're welcome, Taylor. Thank you.